Perfect. You <laughs> This is the Winners and Losers podcast for the New York City Marathon, which just finished not long ago, probably hmm, about an hour ago. And uh, on the line with me is, uh, as always now, John LaFranco uh, in Montreal, coach uh, with Athletics Canada. And also you coach a group of athletes out of Montreal as well and at Concordia University in Montreal, right, John? Yep. I coach in all of those places. <laughs> yes, I coach in all. Yes, I still, I have not been fired from any of them since last week, since we last did this. That's um, right. All right. So we've done, uh, we did one episode where we covered the Toronto Waterfront Marathon. And uh, so we're jumping right back in for New York, which just happened and we thought we'd get right on the bandwagon with that and see if we could tackle this ASAP. So uh, we're fresh off the finishes. Pretty good race today. Uh, so we're going to, the format is going to be you and I will exchange winners and losers. I think we both concocted five winners, five losers. So we'll try to do them in relative rapid fire. And I suspect you and I both have some overlapping uh, winners and losers, right, John? Yep, I think so. Okay. So who's your first winner? Uh, first winner is uh, Kim Warrer, the the men's overall winner. Um, I I mean, obviously he won, but I think to me, you know, he's kind of he was kind of the guy in the shadow of Farah and Rupp for a while there. It's not like a big surprise or anything like that, but I just thought that he was sort of due to bust out in a big race. But you know, I thought good, and and he was patient, like he wasn't leading the whole way in fact uh, i mean i'll get to the tracking and all that but he took the lead in the last couple of miles they're saying on the broadcast that the sense was is that his coach patrick sang who he he trains in that global sports camp group with uh elliot kipchoge and company and that their famous coach patrick sang probably told them like just sit in the pack new york is very much a tactical race and uh mm-hmm. wait to pounce on you know maybe a perceived weakness or somebody making a mistake or just nobody else wanting to make a move. Uh, so yeah, he's on my list too. I got him as a winner. Uh, it's, I mean, it's like kind of obvious when you put the winners as the race of the race as the winners, but, um, yeah. uh, in this case, I think I totally agree with you that like he, uh, especially, um, in, in the aftermath of what Kipchoge has done in the last couple of years and Kamora is actually still quite young. I think he's in his like, not even his really his late twenties. I think you want to say he's like about twenty six. It seems like he's been around for not forever, but for at least a few years. I know he was um, pacer when he was really young, and there's like a weird documentary on him that was done in Europe a few years ago that you can find on uh, Vimeo. Oddly enough, uh, I haven't really seen it anywhere else, but about when he was a pacer trying to break through into becoming a standalone elite level athlete. So. I think he's kind of a cool figure too. He's like an awesome runner. I like that he's able to win on the track in cross and now half marathon world record, won New York two times. So he's a badass. Who else you got for a winner? Yeah, other winner, uh, Jib Cosgate. You know, I was a little skeptical. I'll be honest. Uh, I had sort of sent you a couple predictions and I was, uh, you know, a little shy after predicting a bit of a different level here, but predicting Rory um to have a breakout in his debut and and so she has the world record in the half but this was kind of her her marathon debut and so that's kind of like you temper expectations but uh nope she blew it out of the water so way to go 
she seemed to just check Mary Katani the entire time, which is a pretty smart move, a pretty savvy move for, especially for a first timer in the marathon that like, you're like, okay, I'm just going to like sit in the pack. And then when it gets whittled down to a couple of athletes and obviously Katani, who's, you know, won the race a whole bunch of times and knows what she's doing in that event, in that race is sitting on your shoulder. Then you think to yourself, okay, now I just have to use my pure talent and literally run away from her in the end, which is exactly what Mm -hmm. she did. Yeah. She's on my list too. Just because I think, and maybe it's a more impressive win than even Kimura's win, because the debut is always such a roll of the dice, and it's such a different thing than racing a half marathon. She's obviously the world record holder in the half marathon, the only woman to run under 65 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. So she's got the wheels, she's got the pure talent, but like we've seen that with, I just think about a few half marathon world records in the past that didn't really translate into marathon performances on par with the world record talent. So good yeah, for her. Today say, today say is the guy that like was always just crushing the halves and just could not put it together in the marathon. Yeah. Right? And, even, and even after the breaking two thing where he kind of like famously figured out fueling mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, he still didn't top out at the level that you would have expected, right? Like he still didn't dig right down into those super low two hour uh, marathon performances. So mm-hmm. we'll see how Jeb Koskai does after this. I mean, she came real close to the course record. I think she was only off by about five seconds, which probably a bit yeah. heartbreaking for her because five, that's five seconds is so hard to make up in the last couple hundred meters when you realize you're that close. So my, Winners that are different than those two. I'll I'll just start tossing one out here. First one is NN running. And if some of you are not familiar with what NN running is, it's this running team that's essentially the group of East African athletes for the most part that train with or alongside of Elliot Kipchoge, including Jeffrey Kamora. Uh of course there's a it's sort of a wider group than that. There's men and women on the team, and it's basically run by this super agent in running, uh, Jos Hermans, uh, who's a Dutch agent. And NN is a, I believe, an insurance company in the Netherlands. So they sponsor this team, mm-hmm. this big team of like superstar athletes. Uh, so this is a big win for them today because, you know, I think they have to start thinking about how do we create our next Elliot Kipchoge. Kipchoge has been such a huge, huge presence in the marathon in the last few years. And he seems invincible right now but uh we know that great marathon running is a really hard thing to keep up for more than a few years uh just ask someone like Haile Geber Selassie for example whose career kind of had the same trajectory and then just like you get to a certain age and you're kind of done right so I I think that Kamora is revealing himself to maybe be the next guy who's going to go out and try to run close to too flat in a fast marathon maybe in London or Chicago next year. So uh, I think NN's a big winner here. Also, I got on the list here, Adidas. I got Adidas on the list. And the reason why I got Adidas on the list is because, oh, poor Adidas. They've been like second fiddle in the technology talk in the, in the great arms race in running shoes in the last couple of years with Nike just dominating the conversation with their 4% next percents. Quick count. Adidas won two in the women's race. Jip Koskai and Mary Katani, both Adidas athletes. Uh, and then Albert Career, who placed second in the men's side, also an Adidas athlete. And I noticed all three of them were wearing a different looking Adidas shoe. I don't know what the, the details of that are. I'm sure we'll hear more about that in the next couple of days because 
I'm not the only one that's going to be curious about what's on all these people's feet. So I, I imagine it's a, a new Adidas, probably carbon plated spring plate shoe with a whole bunch of new foam. I've heard that Adidas is coming out with a new foam, sort of a, a jump up from the boost foam that they've been riding, riding high on for the last few years. So that's a big win for them, I think. I got in and running Adidas. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Let me pull up the guy's name. Gourmet Bekele Gebra is his name. 208, seven minute PB. Bib number, I think it was 443 in the race. He's just looming the entire race in the lead pack. And no one really talked about him until the last few K when it was like, holy shit, there's this guy with a numbered bib. No one has got a sheet on this guy. Who is this guy? Finished third. He almost clipped the guy for second. He was like right behind career for second. And John, as you know, it's like very, very rare that somebody who is not an invited high quality elite athlete um, places in one of these big marathon majors. Yeah. For a guy to just show up and hang like that, it's pretty impressive. Good for him. I mean, I, I would imagine he's not just like a guy living in New York of Ethiopian descent who just decided to jump in someone someone clearly like got him into the race and whatever like I don't know he's got to be uh, part of some group somewhere right yeah I'm just looking here on his uh, his sheet on the uh, the ARRS site which has got his sort of his lifetime winnings which I think is at $19,000 so he's probably just oh, it's a, added to like doubled yeah. tripled that <laughs> in one race He's run a lot of races in like Virginia and New York area. So he could be one of these Ethiopians that lives somewhere, lives and trains somewhere in the U.S. My guess is probably mm-hmm. either Virginia or New York. Mm-hmm. There are quite a pool of Kenyan and Ethiopian mm-hmm. athletes that live in these areas. Um, training at a pretty high level. I think he had like a something like a two, I want to say 216 uh, marathon. I know he's got a 103 half. He ran at the he's right. Richmond. So. He's got a 213 as his best. 213. So. There you go. There you go. That would explain. Yeah. That uh, was that. A, yeah. It's a pretty big yeah, PB so. for him. So yeah. Yeah. He was wearing I mean, Nike I shoes. That, I noticed, that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what happens is they probably, you know, they were like, okay, look, we can't, we can't give you an elite bib or whatever, but like you can, you know, you can be in the race and good luck to you kind of thing. Um, that often happens. Like I was trying to trying to get something like that for this uh, Moroccan kind of slash New Brunswicker uh, that I'm I'm coaching. Trying to get him into Houston and uh, you know just saying like, hey, can we just get him in the race? Because he ran he ran like okay, he ran like a two nineteen in a really hot Montreal. Like if he got into a fast race with some people, I feel like he could really drop that down. So sometimes it's you, you need that opportunity, right? You can, if you're only so fast, you can only get in kind of these medium races and then, and, and you don't really have the opportunity to, to get better, but in a, in a big field like New York, and it also went out slow. So I think that was probably helpful for someone who hasn't run 208 before, um, to just kind of like be able to be in, in a pack. And then, and then I think this happened a bit in Toronto too. I, I don't remember if we talked about it, but you know, once you kind of smell the barn, so to speak, um, in a marathon and things are going well, then you just kind of go for it. And, and you're not really worried about, you know, Oh, I haven't run this pace before or anything. You're just kind of like, Hey, I'm here, let's go, you know, and you kind of forget all that other stuff and you're just racing. 
which is how good performance can happen. Yeah, there's something like highly emotional about that last stage in the marathon, like closing that out, that if you're, you're in that aerobic zone, you're feeling it, everything has gone really well, and you're highly motivated and you're positive about it. And, and especially if there's somebody kind of dangling in front of you and they seem like they're kind of falling apart a little bit, there's something magical that takes place and you can perform really at the edge of that aerobic area mm-hmm. uh, for, I guess, a, a limited period of time. But yeah, you can, you can pull off something magical uh, in a marathon mm-hmm. if you sort of teed it up properly. So who yeah. else do you have as a winner? I think you got... Right. So speaking of that, there was a guy that I noticed looking through who was, who was where, um, Connor McMillan. So this is an American guy. He's 23. It's his second marathon. He previously to this, he had a, a two twenty three in uh, Chicago in 2016. And, uh, now he's, he came in, in, uh, like two, two So huge like over 10 minute pb yeah. for Connor mcmillan um i guess he's uh i don't know if he's done now but he's he's uh, was running at byu before didn't you know like his other times are are like okay uh i don't know that anything that would suggest a, a, a 212 i mean a 2809 uh from last may not this year may but last year may and he, he ran a, tw- a one hour flat 20k in, uh, in New Haven in, in September of this year. So that's pretty good. Yeah, coming along. But I mean, it's it's kind of like you know, kind of like the Hofbauer thing where it seems like it's sort of out of nowhere, and you sort of wonder, okay, but it's been three years since he's run a marathon, so clearly he's been getting better since. Um, but I thought, uh, yeah, like good good job for for him. It's fun when people are just break out and, and have that really big race. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that obviously gets him into the U.S. Uh, Olympic trials race, which is such a huge professional goal for a, particularly for like a young post-collegiate athlete uh, to break into the road scene and then get into that trials race and get that experience. And 212, like, kind of puts you in the conversation of like, okay, well, if you made such a big jump from, you know, being on the north side of 220 and then jumping into that low teens um well not even low teens it's like 212 to yeah 212 yeah not a teen a preteen. so um (laughs) yeah uh, it'll be interesting to watch him uh next year see if he can get into find his way into the olympics yeah and he well so he was 10th right so he actually made the olympic standard by being 10th at a major so, I mean, yeah. I know that uh, in the U.S. trials, you have to finish top three, and top three is automatically going to get standards. So it doesn't really matter, but it's it's good for, for him to have that confidence going in that, like, yeah, I've, I've got the standard. The other person I had was uh, someone who's becoming kind of like a, a, a personal favorite, uh, Roberta Groner. So right, yeah. Roberta Groner, I noticed her in Rotterdam when, when I was there with Mel racing and, and, you know, we had looked on the list before of like, you know, people and like what their times were and stuff. And she was someone that we thought like, Oh, you know, like if you're kind of around where she is, like, that's pretty good. But she had a big breakout race there. And I think ran two twenty nine or something. Um, and then ran herself, uh, onto the U S team for the Doha. And so she ran a Doha and I think, was she not like sixth or something? She was also in the top 10. Yeah. Um, and uh and then back for new york <laughs> and oh, no, is... and she she did not have a bad race she had a good race 
I think. Like, I mean, 230, like, I guess she probably, it wasn't her best, best race, but compared to, you know, we'll start getting into the, the losers there, but like, I, uh, you know, Sarah Hall sort of did the, not Worlds, but had run in Berlin and was coming back with the really short turnaround for another marathon. And it's so, it's so hard. And like, I get it. Like there's the story in the times like, Oh yeah, you know, like I'm not, I'm doing my own path and not everyone is the same and stuff like, yeah, but it's still like, you still have to run another marathon. And so I just thought that for, uh, Roberta Groner to be kind of doing the same thing and come back and run decently well, I think is, is cool. Like, I mean, I hope that she is recovered for uh, the trials uh we'll see how that goes but i just i just thought like i i'm becoming a fan of of hers and i was happy to see her pull off the the very challenging two marathons in a month <laughs> move <laughs> i was gonna say she's showing herself to be a really intelligent marathon runner and executing in a very kind of methodical way but i don't know if i would <laughs> not necessarily intelligent to run a marathon like a month after especially a race like doa where it was just you taking a strip off your back that type of race i mean that must have been so difficult yeah. to recover from that but at the same time i mean she she went out today and unraveled a really smart race where others who attempt to do to do similar things uh failed pretty spectacularly so yeah Impressive. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. So let's, um, yeah. let's get into the, uh, the ugly side of the conversation. Let's go, uh, let's dig into the, the losers. Who's your, uh, who's your first person who lost today? Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I mentioned Sarah Hall kind of put her in that category just because, um, well, it seems like she did not finish. So that's not great. Um, and I just think like, I don't know, what is the, what is the point of marathoning? That's a big question. Uh, <laughs> I need to narrow that down a bit. But like, why? Like, why? Like, why are you doing this race if you're if you're trying to presumably get to the Olympics? And she's someone with a two twenty two under her belt that she is a, a strong candidate to to be in the top three in the trials. Why would you dig yourself a further hole with really nothing to gain? You know, like. I don't, I don't know, like, it, maybe this is um, part of something that, that bugs me about New York and other, well, mostly New York, but, like, it's, like, the American thing, like, oh, like, I want to be top American at New York because there's, like, something to that. I don't know, maybe I'm just not generally a very nationalist person. I know we do this for Canada, too. We do the Toronto as, like, top Canadian, but that was, like, our, you know, Olympic trials or, or at least national championships but it's kind of like, okay, this is supposed to be like a major international race, but we're also going to have this like little race within a race for Americans. And it's almost, it's kind of quaint because it's like, okay, but like making this separate category to like be able to win and say like, yay, I'm an American and I won New York as a, I feel like it's a response to the fact that Americans are not the best in the world. Maybe at maybe at the beginning of the New York Marathon and stuff that they were winning all the time, and then they didn't win for a while, right? And then they, then like they got these like American winners back. But I, I don't know. I just kind of think like to me, if that's it, it seems like that's what would drive someone like Sarah Hall to like jump into this New York Marathon. This kind of like uh, you know because it's like a home race or whatever. But it's like that's dumb. Like, wouldn't you rather 
win the Olympic trials and then go to the Olympics and be like challenging for the win at the Olympics? My thinking is this. Okay. My first thought was could be a sponsorship related thing where she committed to doing, to putting a big uh, marathon major in the fall. Well, she had one, she did Berlin, but to maybe, to maybe run an American race. Um, Mm -hmm. I think she's still with ASICS if I'm not mistaken. I, I know that her husband, Ryan Hall was like the big ASICS guy forever. And ASICS, mm-hmm. ASICS was the, the huge sponsor of the New York City Marathon before New Balance threw the cash down and, and took it away from them a couple of years ago. So I don't think it was a sponsor thing, actually. I think maybe it was just she saw it as a freebie. She saw it as an opportunity to kind of give it a shot. She still felt fit. She still felt like she had uh, some strength in her legs. You know, you can, with a space, with a gap of what, about two months? It's like September to November, right? Yeah, you can sometimes have an abbreviated recovery and then kind of ramp right back up again, and you didn't really lose a whole lot of fitness. But I, I think long term, that's such a risky thing to do, especially if you're trying to make it to the Olympics next yeah. year. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's a big and also a she greedy, didn't do but, that. She she ran a ten mile race in in Minnesota. Right. Good point. Yeah. So okay. it was no kind of like that's, you're not even doing that. Like yeah. you're not even just going under, taking a big rest, and then just kind of trying to like top it off and just. I don't know. I mean, obviously we don't know what her training was and how she prepared for it specifically, but, and, and maybe the goal also was, yeah, you got to show up and like, you know, press the flesh and whatever it's New York, but then like, it's a workout run, you know, run as best you can. But if it's not happening, it doesn't matter. I I can see that too, I guess. Yeah. She Um, dropped it. She dropped it 18 miles. Yeah. She put in a pretty solid effort for a long, long stretch. And then I guess it was just 18 miles you're looking at. That last, <laughs> that's a long, long way to go if you're not feeling mm-hmm. good. So, right. yeah, similarly, my uh, loser that I've got marked down here, and I, I feel badly saying this because he's the defending, cha- he was the defending champion in New York, so he kind of had to show up, uh, is uh, Elisa DeCisa, who also dropped out. Uh, he made a big effort when there was still a huge pack quite early in the race, he kind of jumped out in the front and made a big push. And for a second, I was like, Whoa, okay. Lisa DeCisa, here we go. This could be interesting. And then I think he was just testing his legs. He was probably didn't feel amazing. And then got out in front, made a little push. And yeah, he's a smart, very, very seasoned runner, very smart, tactical runner. He's been in, you know, he's in that crazy sprint to the finish line in Boston. And like, so he's, he, and last year in New York was a very close race. So he knows that you need to have a lot of strength and power at the end of a race like New York. DeCisa, I think he just jumped to the front, made a bit of a push, tested himself, realized he didn't have it, knew that he was not going to feel any better in 30 K. So he just stepped off the course. Um, but still a tough situation for him. Uh, you know, in a, Ideal circumstances, I'm sure the guy probably didn't even want to show up, but he was the defending champion. And New York, I think, really wants their title holders to show up and defend. So, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, in the loser cal- uh, column uh, because of that. But so, who else you got? Mm-hmm. So um, you had mentioned uh, Adidas as a winner, and uh, so I've got Saucony as a loser. Um, really? Why? Just because? Or well, Saucony. so. So Jared Ward uh, was he? You know, he ran okay. He was a top American male, uh, but he ran and he ran two ten, which is about what he's run before. But it's on New York. I think it might have been actually a little PB for him. Um, but New York is a tough course, so fair enough. But they, he had the Saucony version of the 
the four percent or whatever you know whatever they're calling it um and so i feel like the expectation was like you got to show that this is going to kind of boost the performance the same way the the nike shoes do and it was kind of meh to me what that says is that nike has something going on with the shoes with the tech other companies are trying to figure it out and and copy it as as they should and as you mentioned adidas uh has something going and they it seems like it's good because they they were up there on the podium uh with some of their people maybe it's just Saucony's uh athlete selection um but like jared ward did fine but not enough to to have people go okay it's not just a nike thing Saucony's got it too like this is the next this is just how marathon running shoes are going to be and I feel like that's what the next step of this whole I don't know shoe drama needs to be uh in order for it to go in a in a healthy kind of equitable and developing for for everybody kind of way uh but for now Nike's still holding the hammer so that's why I say Saucony loser I was thinking about this in the last couple of days um you know I had a pretty in-depth conversation about the shoe wars with uh, Brian Metzler, who wrote uh, a pretty fantastic book called Kixology about, uh, about the history and development of shoes. And he knows quite a bit about this stuff. And he was sort of saying like, you know, Nike got ahead of all this. And because they got ahead of all this, I think they kind of got like, they've, they've like, they've like put like played a voodoo on us. Like we're, convinced i think some people are convinced that like the nike shoe has got something these other shoes will never have or or can't have or have yet to figure out i wonder if anyone's going to believe that like a non-nike shoe is going to take you to that next level and give you that quote-unquote four or five or whatever percentage points right so yeah i think it's incumbent upon a brand like saucony to really figure out a way to attack the marketing angle of this in a slightly more clever way than even Nike has, or just a different, a different insertion point where they can get their word in that like, Hey, we've done all this research. We've got these athletes. Look at these performances. You should trust this shoe to give you that bump that the Nike shoes that everyone already kind of believes the Nike shoe is going to give you. So yeah, I can see your point of view. I mean, I think, I think Jared Ward did pretty well. Uh, you know, he was in the mix for a long period of time, just sort of struggled a little bit as the pace kicked up. But I guess to your point, Aren't these shoes supposed to help combat that? The fatigue, the lack of efficiency, and take you to that next level? I don't know, yeah. Yeah, to be clear, like not, I didn't say Jared Ward was a loser. Um, no. Just saw no. yeah. <laughs> so another kind of lost scenario or uh, losing scenario that I don't know a lot of detail about, but I was following on Twitter as we were watching the race is there were a couple of Australian runners that were in the lead pack in the first section of the race and apparently two of them went off course i don't exactly know how you go off course in the new york city marathon because there's a blue line for those who've never run it before there's like a blue line painted on the ground you just follow the blue line and it takes it's the tangent it's the most efficient way to run the the race it takes you the 26.2 miles directly to the finish line Uh, and also the funneling of all the people on either side pretty much the entire way uh, is actually spectators on course for i think the entire run um so there's not there aren't that many dead sections of that in that course so yeah Yeah, so irish times says that um uh, sinead diver who is irish but running for australia 
was direct to the wrong side of a, of a crash barrier. So she just had to kind of duck back onto the course. It was just early in the race, like around three miles. So not like they went down the wrong street and kept going and to turn around. It was really more like they kind of just sort of took the wrong path on the street. But still, like you say, it's pretty obvious usually yeah. what, what's going on. So I don't know. I didn't see it. I don't know how that happened, but it, it was apparently a small thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and marathon running is such a rhythm dependent activity, right? Like it, you just want to yeah. keep that groove going. You don't want a whole lot of a few many hiccups. And anyway, uh, love to read more about that in the future, but, um, not a great moment. I'll throw in another one of mine and I don't like doing this because she finished second overall, which is really good. Yeah. Um, but you, that is also as uh, Mr. Prefontaine would say, first loser. So, uh, Mary Katani, who came in kind of as a heavy favorite, although there was a pretty solid trio of runners, Jeff Koskai and Aga, of course, were mm-hmm. the big heavy hitters that were coming in. So that key break, which we didn't get to see in the broadcast, which was really annoying, but there was a key break and she didn't really respond. She tracked uh, Jeff Koskai really well after that, but just didn't have that response that that fight back to get back into contention again so i think she kind of missed an opportunity to you know go down as well she'll still go down as one of the all-time new york champions with her multiple wins but just she was lined up for the win okay yeah so what who else you got on your list here okay so i i wanted to jump off a couple things you just said there about how the the broadcast missed the break and Oh yeah. Like so I I didn't really get to watch the whole thing. I I set myself up with a like a an illegal stream um mostly because in so in Canada if you want to watch it I guess it was on TSN which is like on television. Um yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like cable. I, I don't have television. You cut the cord uh, already. Uh, yeah. Pardon me? You've cut the cord long ago. I, I I feel like I'm not an early adopter in these sort of scenarios and I don't have TV. Um, and, and then like, you know, so it's geolocked, like you you can go to the ABC website, but you can't watch it if you're not in the States. And then, you know, there's this other stuff and like, maybe there's, I, maybe I could have looked into ESPN and, you know, and paid for it and stuff. And and that's okay. Like I probably wouldn't have paid for it, but I, uh, that's fine. Like, you know, it's a product, but if this is like a world world marathon major, should there not be some kind of international you know, broadcast. And I know that it's complicated, like there's, you know, there's broadcast rights and all this business, but maybe the IWF or the world majors group or however they do it should be like, you know what, guys, let's get together on a YouTube channel. Uh, we can sell lots of ads on a YouTube channel and, and just make sure that everyone can see this because isn't that what it's what we're trying to do to promote the sport is like get, get eyeballs on it and, and have storylines, but it's kind of hard to, get excited and follow these storylines when, when you can't really see the race. Like if, if I'm, I'm a, obviously someone who's invested in the sport and, and I've got to mess around with an illegal stream that keeps crapping out, then like, you're not going to get any new people. So that's part one. Part two, I did see a bit and you mentioned like the streets are lined, but the parts I saw, they weren't, um, and like I'm, I'm a big New York fan. My wife and I both 
love to go to New York for different reasons. Like, you know, she's into fashion. And so there's always go to the fashion, like the, the mood, the, the, the fabric store and like any, there's all kinds of exhibits. New York is just, it is, it is everything that, that it's hyped up to be, I think as a city, it's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and, and then you, you get these images of running by these sort of like construction sites and things, which is also part of the New York thing. And it's just kind of like, oh, like it didn't look good from what I saw. It didn't look nice on, on the screen. So that's kind of the one part of the, the sort of the, the presentation of the race I thought was a bit in the, the loser zone. And then so because the, the stream crapped out and I couldn't watch it, I took to the app, um, which was terrible. So the app... Um, listeners probably are well aware of how marathon tracking apps work. Um, mm-hmm. So that you've got the list of the leaderboard usually, but the leaderboard only went to five. So I could only see the top five pro men and women and top five American men and women. And then if I did, like if I was following them, so then you can follow people. So we had a guy in our club who was running and so I had him on my follow list, but the list didn't even sort in order of where they are on the course so it just kind of sorted in, I don't know, bib number or something. So you couldn't tell like placing. So I had to flip back and forth between the map and the map is okay. But like, you, you know, the, it shows you estimated of where they are. And then yeah, at each I thought mile, the map was kind of cool. I don't know. I... No, it's cool. But at each mile, like they disappear and then they reappear in a new order and stuff. And like, okay, that's fine. But the, the Toronto waterfront app is way better that I was really? able to follow. Like okay. the leaders were up to 10 and you also couldn't go back. So Say, say, um, you know, when, and this is another loser that I'm going to talk about when, when Des Linden like did her break there and she passed through uh, a checkpoint earlier, all of a sudden you have no idea where anyone else is because they only show one Des Linden. And then they didn't show, you couldn't go back to see like who was leading at half, who was leading. It's just, I've never, I've never seen a marathon app like that before. It just, it's like it got worse. What were they doing? So I was, I was frustrated with the experience of, or with the, my attempted uh, experiencing of the New York Marathon. I, it, it sounds like it was awesome, um, but I don't know. I didn't really get to live it as a fan. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with you about the criticism of how the hell we watch these races. It's such a uh, maze that you have got to figure out depending on what country you're located in. It's, I guess, straightforward enough if you're an American who's dumb enough to pay for a cable package um which i guess is a large number of people still because you could have accessed it through espn which is straightforward enough in my case i also am a cord cutter or past tense i cut the cord a long time Mm -hmm. ago i haven't had cable in years there's no value in it to me um and not even in this instance uh, I used a VPN. I used a VPN and yeah. I put myself in New York City and watched the ABC stream. So Yeah, sure. Uh, and I could have done that. Yeah, but, and it just feels shitty I, to I do that. But I shouldn't have to. Exactly. Right? The thing that the, what's frustrating about this is that having to do that kind of indicates the place we're at in this sport where it's like, okay, so Abbott, a massive company, sponsors, sponsors the, the marathon majors. What the fuck is the problem with Abbott? Why can't Abbott what? cut a check and just have all the majors live streamed? Or I, maybe it's New York Roadrunners and they want to try to sell the broadcast rights. 
Did they sell the broadcast rights? I have no idea. My sense is maybe not because there were a lot of New Balance, Airbnb, Tata ads on that uh, broadcast, which suggests to me that it was either a we'll supply the broadcast to you for free, the rights for free if you show it, ABC slash ESPN, or we'll pay you some money to show the broadcast because we need to have it broadcasted in order to check off the box as an IAAF gold label or diamond label or whatever the hell they are label race. It means that when you're that caliber of race, when you're a world marathon major, you have to have a big global, you have to have a a national broadcast and a global stream. So uh, they figured out ways to do that. I just wonder about this. Again, if you want to grow the sport, put it online, put it online, make it free don't don't lo- make it free around the world so that everybody yeah. in the world that wants to watch this thing watches it. And so that leads me to my loser, which is exactly what you're talking about, but I'll expand on it, which is watching the broadcast. Who, who is this broadcast for? That's my question. And I'm, t- I'm actually tired now. I'm like, be- I sound angry, uh, but I'm beyond rage. I'm tired of like snarky tweeting about, how shitty the broadcast is. And listen, I participate in a broadcast in Toronto. I know how hard it is to make a broadcast. I know how hard people work to execute in a broadcast. I know how hard it is to talk for a few hours intelligently and articulately about running on a broadcast. So no knock on the people who were, you know, the talent that was on or off camera talking to the pictures the entire time. They did the best job they could. The issue is, is in the the strategy behind it. And what they're trying to do with a broadcast like this, and it's the same problem in Chicago and other other major city marathons, is they're trying to satisfy this bullshit audience that does not exist anymore. An audience is like, maybe it existed when there were three fucking channels in 1985, when it was like, oh, it's Sunday morning and I'm frying bacon and eggs and I'm just going to turn on the TV and flip it over to the ABC dial and, oh, there's the marathon on. I'm going to just let that play in the background and absorb some of the ads and then everyone will be uh-huh. happy. That's not happening anymore. There's no such thing as a casual fan of marathon running. Uh, It's you're either all in and you're watching a stream of a marathon because you're that interested in the marathon and you're doing weird shit like jumping through VPN hoops to pretend you're in New York city so you can watch a marathon or you're not watching it. That's the bottom line. How many people are watching like, People were probably like, oh, shit, there's some, the New York City Marathon is on TV before, you know, the pregame stuff on ESPN. I'll just right. turn it off and then come back at noon when it's over, right? So how about target the fans that care about the sport, make a great broadcast for them, dig into those storylines, don't miss the breaks. They missed every single break today. Not a single yeah. break was captured. I watched. It's, it didn't happen. Yeah. You missed the it's break, terrible. you missed the race, right? So Yeah. Oh, and it happens in like I don't know who it's it's almost as if they have, you know, they have good people like you said, like there's good people doing the broadcast and it's hard. I know like last year this weekend you and I were doing Offsa and and oh. that was like that was hard. And you've done it a bunch of times. And you know what? You must do a good job because I know people who've told me Oh yeah, like I so I, after recovering from my my marathon, I I got out my bike trainer and I put on the Toronto Marathon street like uh, 
you know, uh, broadcast to watch it because I didn't get to watch them. it. <laughs> like what? Like really? Okay. But I mean, no one's going to do that with the New York thing. Like, cause it's no. And so I think, yeah, like you've got to find a way that, that you can, like, I, I don't know. I just go back to YouTube. Like YouTube is free and you can monetize the crap out of YouTube. There are people who make millions of dollars off like makeup videos. So I'm sure makeup that videos are awesome, the, though, John, the, the niche so. market. What? Those videos are awesome though. So I... they, yeah, that's true. But I'm sure that with the, the niche market of running that you can, you can do it. Like the, this idea of, you know, paying to watch something completely misses the point of where the, the internet and media is right now. You don't pay for stuff. You give people stuff for free and then you sell them stuff while they're watching it for free. I mean, that's kind of the original, you know, radio and TV thing anyway. And that's what the internet is. Like it's, it's all about that and ads. So like, why, why are we locking things down and trying to make money off subscriptions when you know, you have a very, very limited audience, but you have a very limited, but dedicated audience, then, then you can target ads and you can sell them things. I don't understand. I'm, and I'm like the least sales person in the universe. How do I know this? And, and like, they haven't figured this out. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like really obvious to me what, what should be done. There has got to be a better way. Uh, I think about this a lot, particularly because of my involvement with the, the Toronto live stream, which, you know, I, I know it's a different, I know it's a different caliber than New York city. I know New York is the big race. It's the race with the 52,000 or however many runners this year. It's the most, probably the, it's gotta be the most valuable of those, of the marathon properties in terms of a, uh, a stream or a, a broadcast. So, but at the same time, you're not helping the greater sport. And ultimately, if you want to continue having 50 plus thousand people coming to your race, figure out a way to get it in front of people's eyeballs for free globally. Cause it's an international race. I mean, if you've ever run New York and you go to New York, it's kind of blows me away how many people were from all over the world that were there to run. It really is a truly international <laughs> event, a much more so than in Boston, Chicago, Paris, any of these other sort of large marathons. So yeah, it's just very frustrating and, and just do a good job with the Stop trying to th pretend that there's a problem with people think, I think, the worry is that they. You're so mad. I am so. The the worry is is that it that the 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 elephant in the room is like, oh shit, we've got a three-ish hour broadcast of the main race. Marathoning maybe is boring to watch, and maybe certainly so for somebody who doesn't really understand marathon running. So we're going to do the best job we can, kind of touching, doing you know coming in and out on the elite men's and women ra women's race. But then we're going to do this, all this other shit that we think people might like. And the truth is, is that you're, you're not doing anything right when you're doing that. You're doing a poor job at telling the story of the elite races. And then you're doing you're, this kind of You're like, enraging the people that do want to see yes. what you're showing. The only people watching are annoyed is what you're doing. You're annoying <laughs> yeah. the only people that are actually watching the stream. So how about instead figure out an intelligent way to cover the race. And like someone brought up to me uh, um, in the last week talking about this leading up to it, that there is a lot of interest in American distance running at a high level in some of the American elites that are 
in the mix, but maybe not at the front of the pack, right? So maybe instead assign that that motorcycle camera to go back and check in on, you know, Kelly Taylor or Roberta Groner or whatever. Exactly. Like, what are they up to? How are they pacing? If they're doing well, like have a, it's like the, also the storylines are so set in stone. It's like, we're going to follow the lead men and the lead women. And that's kind of it. And Mm -hmm. how about instead a little bit more flow, use technology. We can communicate, send a bike back, send a bike back to find somebody who's doing something interesting. There's a lot of interesting storylines that play out. And I feel like, over and over again with these events, we only get that in the aftermath and you kind of have to piece it together through Twitter and a couple of shots from, you know, alongside the course and that sort of thing where it's like, Oh, that person like really put together a really interesting second half of the race, but we didn't get to see that because it was just trained in on one person the entire time. So anyway, I'm looking forward to a more sophisticated version of, of, uh, of how this, how this plays out. Hopefully. Although I hmm. fear that it's not going that direction, I fear it's going the opposite direction. Yeah. Anyway, you've got you've got one last uh, yeah, go one more, and then we're done. Yeah. So, and this is kind of so it's Desiree Linden's brand. Go on. So, not her, but her brand. So, what's her brand? Her brand is working hard, steady. You know, like always there, like in Boston, kind of come from behind the trials, come from behind, like just runs her pace, gets out there, does her thing. And then what did I see at like 15K when I was actually on the broadcast? Desi Linden like makes a break. I was like, why? Why would you do that? Like, it's not, first of all, it's off brand, but I mean, okay, you're running marathon, you don't care about your brand, but, but like, it's not, you're not playing to your own strengths there. And like, it turned out okay, I guess. Um, she was top American. Yeah, top American, and it 226, could, it she did be, well. Pardon me? She did it's well. Six place. 220, yeah, yeah, she did, for, yeah, for 226 sure. she ran. Yeah. So, but I mean, what does that do to the, the, the legend of Desi Linden who, you know, is, is she's this like working class workhorse, just like one pace steady. Like, I mean, I don't really buy into that anyway, but cause she's an elite marathon or like she runs real fast. Um, but I just think it's interesting. And so I was trying to figure out like, okay, why, why would you blow up your brand like that? I'm exaggerating, but and maybe, and maybe it's a smart move. Maybe it's, she knows that, you know, at the trials and potentially at the Olympics, she's going to have to, you know, respond to people and, and figure things out. And so maybe it was a way of, you know, testing out tactics. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving too much credit there. Um, so, I mean, for the Desi Linden, the athlete, good work, Desi Linden, the brand. Yeah. Not, not so good. I, I think she was in, um, in a tough place because she was in that lead group. The lead group was starting to whittle down and she had to make a tactical decision based on her strengths and weaknesses. And I think she looked on either side of her and it was like, okay, Katani who's run well under 220. I think she's run 217. She's won this race a bunch of times. She's a total boss. She knows what she's doing. Jip Koskai, I can't run as fast as her even close. And Ruta Aga was still there also strong sub 220 runner and she's thinking to herself i can't get into a sprint with these women i need to make a move now and maybe they'll let but me at 15K? go yeah because she's maybe thinking like the i was thinking kind of the meb thing like where you know he got away in boston and then he kind of got they let the uh the line slack out enough that he was well ahead and then they couldn't reel him in 
And mm. maybe she was thinking, oh, maybe they'll just let me kind of creep away here and they won't think much of me. Because that happens it, it, historically in New York and Boston. Those are the two races where there is a lot of gamesmanship and and tactics going on, especially with East African runners who can run very, very fast. They just kind of sit and kick a little bit. It's a little bit like um, kind of like a cross race or like a, a, yeah. a, a championship track race or something like that yeah. or championship marathon. So um, that was my thinking is that, Lyndon was just like, I got to piece out on these people now because if I don't do it now, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to be in trouble later on because I'm not going to be able to pace with them. So I'm going to get hung out to dry. And my greater thought with, with what was happening, how it was playing out and how she faded off was, I think going into this race, if she was, she obviously was pretty fit and she was probably thinking to herself, if I can do the Boston, New York combo win, that puts me in a, a different stratosphere in American distance running history. It puts me into a, a place where I can, you know, you have to think about these people's kind of the post running career. This is not, uh, they are not, uh, NBA players. They are not retiring with their tens of millions of dollars, right? These are people who often have to, they have to enter the workforce in some capacity. Many of them are looking to running cause they've invested such a huge part of their high earning potential, chunk of their life, you know, their twenties and thirties where you put down the foundation for your career. They've invested all of that into running. So their career becomes running. And I'm sure someone like Desi Linden uh, is thinking to herself, like it would be nice to be able to go to Boston in the spring, New York in the fall, show up, be the past champion, uh, maybe get a little bit of speaking engagement money, maybe make some money showing up at a couple of booths maybe maintain a long-term sponsorship with a brand that wants to have that relation, continue that relationship and have her, you know, in the New York conversation, maybe some broadcast commentary like Shalane Flanagan was doing. Like, so there's like a, there's all that at play. And so for her, there's probably that added pressure of like, let me see if I can pop off a New York win. Maybe there's going to be that opening that window. And she, I think she tested the water with that at that point. And then it just, the door slammed in her face. Right. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, I don't know. She's kind of got lots of stuff going on. She's got the whole like whiskey company, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's Um, cool shit, man. She's a, like, she's interesting. She's a a businesswoman. She knows what she's doing. So maybe, yeah. So maybe that's it. Maybe I shouldn't be criticizing her brand when she's, you know, her brand is intact. I think she exited this. (laughs) Listen, top American solid performance. I think the only thing is, is that like, I'm sure the competitor in Des Linden is, thinking like, oh man, it's too bad today. It wasn't like a big breakthrough, right? So um, yeah. my final loser is the course. And I I say that because the New York City Marathon isn't, it to me is the best race in the world. It's the best marathon. It is the best running experience. Fuck you, John. You're totally wrong about the the... This, <laughs> the of course not looking good and it not it's in a, and uh, not be, it's an amazing amazing you got to run it man it's an amazing experience yeah. well, it's really don't get me wrong. special if if i were to run another marathon which is not happening um <laughs> I, that would be one i would want to do yes but i could also just go to new york and run around i kind of like just running mm-hmm. around in new york that's fine too you don't get the i don't know the, you don't <laughs> it's really it's something special that that course still exists because there's yeah. no way they clear that with the city of New York, with all those boroughs to, to open up that course if they have yeah. to start over again. So it's special. Uh, that said, 
And I mean specifically that the course is a loser and all this because those course records are pretty dusty. And one of them almost went down. It was missed by like five seconds, which is too bad. But still, like 222, 205. That course is, it's not a fast course. It's like a paved cross. It's like a, one of those golf courses that you run cross-country meets on in high school and, and university. Yeah. It's like a paved version of that, but in New York. So it's, it's up and down, it's grindy, there's a lot of turns. Um, it's not a course designed at all for speed, but I no. think someone can run quick on it and it just didn't pan out today. Both races kind of started off more tactically, big packs, mm-hmm. no one really wanted to take a lead early on, no one wanted to push the pace and take a big risk. Um, and that's too bad. I think that the caliber of athletes with the technology under their feet now, I was kind of expecting yeah. to see... Uh, a 204 and a 220 or something like that. So I think that that's oh, unfortunate. I, so on that note, like I didn't, I, I didn't watch the broadcast, right. As we discussed, but were they going on and on at the end about the tough uphill finish in central park? Like they yeah, always yeah. do. Oh yeah. 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 Of course. So, but like the last mile and a bit for the winner, she dropped like 520, and that's, you know, she was getting faster. Like I was watching it on the little mappy thing. And I was looking, I'm like, oh, like, she's not on record pace, but, like, knowing how marathons have finished in the recent months, like, they're not fading out, like, they're crushing those last couple miles. I'm like, she could do this, and she definitely sped up in the last last little bit there. So I, I think maybe if the broadcast stops talking about how hard the, the last mile is or something, then maybe that'll help, because, like, obviously it's not that hard. No, I mean, well, it's... It's like a gradual incline. It doesn't feel amazing at the end of a marathon, but I think if you're someone like uh, Jip Koskai and you're cruising into that win and you know it's dangle that that course record is dangling in front of you, there's should be able to get. She did get her legs moving real fast, so kind of too bad that she just missed that. But my greater, it's not so much about the criticism of the specific performances and the winners of this race. I just would love to see take it out harder. Uh, I know they don't have pacers. They don't do pacers in this race. And that's a, that's part of the problem or not problem, but that's part of the eccentricity of this race and why it kind of feels and, and, and has the times the way it does, but people have run fast in Boston. They don't do pacers either. So, and it's, I think Boston's a harder course anyway. Yeah. So that's a, that's it. That's a, we covered everybody, right? You've got nobody else you want to slay uh, for the New York city <laughs> performance. No other losers. I mean, uh, I guess I know the answer to this, but where where were the top Canadians? I guess they. I guess we had a big race, and that you know that was kind of it. And since people are trying to qualify for for the Olympics, there's you know not really a lot of value in running New York because you know you're not going to go quick. Um, so that's probably the answer to that question. But yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah. And I had I'd said that I wasn't a nationalist anyway, so I guess it doesn't matter. No, there you go. Yeah, but it's nice to tuck in the Canadian content. We gotta rep the uh, gotta gotta yeah. gotta rep the local the local conversation at the end. Yeah, it's just too bad. It's, I mean, I didn't, I haven't taken a look yet to see who the uh, the top Canadian finishers are. You know, it's always kind of interesting to see who who shows up every year. So yeah, I'll take a look at that afterwards. It's something I'm curious about. But all right, uh, thanks very much. You've uh, been listening to the winners and losers of the New York City Marathon, and John, I think we'll. We'll do this again sometime soon. I guess next up would be, let's maybe do Canadian cross-country championships. 
Yeah. Yeah, that'd be yeah. fun. Uh, always some interesting storylines there. Uh, speaking of Canadian content, we'll, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. We'll drill down on the Canadian cross country championships. Uh, that'll be the next winners and losers podcast, but, uh, thank you for joining me, Great. John. We'll talk again yeah, soon. Yeah, thank you.